So we're in First Peter uh, chapter 3, as you heard us read. We're going to pick up there. And I asked Ken to share that because, um, not because they all end up that way, but because they can. And I imagine uh, you all know people who are in difficult marriages. If you're married, you understand marriage is difficult, even the best. And, and that's, that's because of the world we live in and the selfish desires we all harbor and hang on to. Um, today, Peter's going to help us answer a very specific question, and that is, how, does, how do you live with an unbelieving spouse as a Christian? How do you live with an unbelieving spouse as a Christian? And I would add, and I think this is certainly covered in the text, how do you live with a spouse that's a believer but acts like an unbeliever? Okay? Because we all do that some. We all find ourselves in places like that. Okay? If you're not married and you hope to get married, this is hopefully a cautionary tale to make sure you marry well. You choose well. Okay? And... If uh, you know anybody that's married, then this is to also give you something to think about before you say, yeah, you need to get out of that relationship. Because I think we as Christians are way too quick to advise others. But I'm not going down those roads because of time so much as just focus on his question. Now, his question is more specific. He's answering the question, how does, an unbelieving, how does a believing wife live with an unbelieving husband? How does she not just live with him? How does she submit to him? Oh, now we're really getting into it, right? And so um, these, these words are challenging. Um, I have been praying because I am terrified about saying the wrong thing and unintentionally and wounding anybody. So it's certainly not that. And I certainly don't want to push anybody into uh, staying in a situation they should not stay in. And I'll elaborate more as we go through it. But um, I just want to pray and just make sure that what's said is what God wants said. So let's do that. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's God-breathed. It's from you. And so, Lord, as we read your word, may we revere it, honor it, believe it, understand it, comprehend it, so that we might live it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you are looking at, at the Bible right now, at this passage, you'll notice that it's really not a, there's not a break between the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. It just goes right on in to it, and because it's part of something bigger. The last two weeks, we've been talking a lot about submission, submission to the governing authorities, our leaders, submitting to uh, slaves, submitting to masters, and now wives submitting to husbands. Those are all similar in that, unlike Paul who will treat both sides and talk about to Christians on both sides of each of those relationships, he focuses on the side that is most likely to be abused. And the reason, in part, is because he's writing to Christians who are being abused. They are in trials and tribulations and persecution that is happening to them because they're believers in a world where they're the extreme minority and they're not in a culture that believes or understands what they believe. So they're in extremely challenging circumstances. We can't quite relate to it because we're still kind of clinging to the America we think was Christian, which really wasn't so much, but we're not post-Christian. We're post-Christian now. We're not just, we're, no, we're, we're moving towards anti-Christian, okay? So we're heading in that direction, but we still have the residual of a worldview that, and, and really a nation's documents, founding documents that's 
Judeo-Christian founding. That was not the case in the Greco-Roman Empire. It was more Greek philosophy and, and, and the things that preceded that. So for them to talk about submission is not a popular topic that most people would not have gone for this because it's all about power. I mean, think Alexander the Great. Talk about someone who conquered through power, right? And those who preceded him, those who followed him, and, and here we are, and Rome is the great power and, and exhibits that power for over a thousand years in some places. And Peter is preaching to people who live in that culture. And he's saying to women who are in marriages to men who don't know the Lord, submit. And that just kind of, in our, we're just scratching our heads going, what? What? That doesn't make sense. So when we say submit, the first thing I want you to know is we're talking about voluntary. Okay? Let's just write up. The person that is being called to submit is choosing to do that or not do that. God is calling for that for a purpose, okay? And the purpose is a selfless purpose. It's a gospel purpose. This is how he starts. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husband. In the same way, and he's referring back to the previous, right? Just like citizens, even though we may be under a government that is oppressive, dictatorial, authoritative, in bad ways, not good ways, like they were, submit to your governing authorities. Slaves, even though slavery is wrong, you become a Christian, submit to your master. Right? For us to apply, it would be employee, submit to your employer. But he treats me poorly. She, she undercuts me. She... Christian, submit. Wives married to husbands who are not worth the dirt they're standing on, submit. Now, he's not, he, there are boundaries here, okay? And he, while he doesn't get into some of that, he's not saying submit and be abused physically. I would even say verbally. I think there's a lot of ways you can be abused that aren't necessarily physical. He's going to speak to the physical, though. But he's also saying Submit in some very difficult circumstances. I think our culture would just say, if it gets bumpy, just get out. And I do not think Peter is saying that. Marriage is hard, even under the best of circumstances. And if you happen to be like many in this day, as we're reading about, where a woman comes to know the Lord and her husband doesn't, you're talking about a circumstance that's incredibly challenging. So I want you to picture a triangle, okay? All right, it's just really simplistic, so just kind of, you know. And imagine God's at the top and husband and wife are at the bottom corners. And the basic principle, at least when I explain it, is this. If you think about these relationships as all important, okay, we have a relationship with God and we have a relationship with each other. Right? The closer my relationship with God gets, if we are both moving in that direction, getting closer to God, then we're going to get closer to each other. Okay, It's kind of silly, but you get the point. The principle is true. Okay? But if one of you is looking and moving towards God and the other one is not, that's not going to work. In fact, it will create conflict. 
I don't know if you saw the movie, um, The Case for Christ. There's also the book that has been out for a long time that it's based on. But it's the story of an atheist reporter, an investigative reporter who was an atheist uh, working for the Chicago Tribune. And he was um, married to, he and his wife were married and happily married. Okay. Now he said they could, they could fight, but they, they, they loved each other. They were, you know, and she, but yet she comes to know the Lord and she begins to change. And he doesn't like the changes. And so he concludes, if I can just prove Christianity is false, then I'll get her back. And so he, being an investigator of record reporter, in fact, won in lots of awards, he's really good at this, he just starts doing that. And he doesn't just read stuff, he starts talking to experts. And he travels around the country meeting with biblical text experts and religious experts and and he starts asking all the questions that he knows. If he can break these questions down, she'll, she'll see that it's false. Spoiler alert, <laughs> the atheist becomes a Christian. Because he is convinced by the evidence, okay, that God is real, that Christ really lived, died, and rose from the dead, and that these folks that follow him are not crazy after all. And he comes to know Christ, and they begin to move towards the Lord together. And ever since then, he's had ministry to millions of people to help them understand the case for, for Christ and why he's worthy to be followed. But their marriage is where it played out. So it wasn't just an intellectual exercise for him. It was a relational experience. And Peter is trying to help us see that the reason for this is the same reason as what their ministry does, and that is to help us share the gospel in such a way that people would come to know Christ. Look at the reason he gives in verse 1. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that, here's the reason, if any of them do not believe, some translations say do not obey the word, they may be won over without words, by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry and clothes or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of, one of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Okay, there's a lot here. Let me see if I can unpack it quickly. Um, the diff so NIV says, if he doesn't believe, the re most translations say, if you do not obey. Same, they're saying the same thing. NIV is just kind of helping you along understand the implications. If you truly obey, it's because you truly believe. Okay? We're not talking about someone who's obeying the letter of the law just to go through the motions. True obedience comes from true faith. It's the evidence of true faith. Okay? When you obey Christ, it's because you believe he's real, you believe he's worthy, and you love him, and you're following him. Okay? That's why you would obey Scripture. If you don't obey Scripture, that's the reverse is true. It means you don't believe he's worthy to be believed and loved and followed. You don't trust him yet, and that's why we don't obey. Now, sometimes we get that mixed up as Christians, right? We forget, or we don't believe in a specific area, but that's for another time. Okay, so then he says... So they may be won over. He uses this play on words, no pun intended, when he says that they, without words, they might win him over to obedience to the word. So I, don't, I haven't talked to a lot of wives who are married to unbelieving husbands, but I've had a few conversations of Christian wives married to unbelieving men. And I know um, from their experience 
that it doesn't usually work well if you try to preach him into the kingdom. It doesn't really work for anything else either, does it, ladies? <laughs> they don't want to hear. They want to see, okay? And they may not know and articulate that, but guys don't want to be berated with words, especially when it starts to become of the nagging variety, if you know what I mean, okay? Even though the words may be true and exactly what he needs to hear. Peter's saying there's a better way. You need to use the most powerful weapon in your arsenal, your inner beauty. And God has given you that. Okay? Now, this works in reverse, too, but it does come across better this way. So let's, let, me, let me show you where he says this. Okay? So he, says, he talks about this. Um, he says, don't wear really expensive jewelry. God, don't be you know, with gaudy with all this jewelry. Don't wear really, don't get really expensive hair, your hair done real expensive like, and don't wear really expensive clothes. Okay? I think it literally says don't wear clothes, but that's not what it means. Okay? All right? When people say, Do you read the Bible literally? I do when it calls for that. <laughs> All right? I read it, I read it literarily. But anyway. Um, he's, obviously, he's, he's dealing with two things. One is modesty, and the second is expense, value. That's why he says interviews of great worth. He's contrasting. He's saying we tend to value what we see on the outside, how people dress, how they do their hair, um, the, the jewelry they wear. And he's saying that should be modest, and that should not be ridiculously expensive because true beauty is over, overshadows that beauty. True beauty comes from the inside, and it doesn't stay in the inside. It comes from the inside, and it comes out. It comes out through your facial expressions and through your body language and through your words and your attitudes and the way you carry yourself and the way you serve people and, and treat people. And he's saying that beauty of great worth to God includes quietness and gentleness, which sounds like weakness, but is not. In fact, it requires actually strength to pull off. To pull off genuine quietness and gentleness when the other one is generally provoke, provokes the opposite out of you, that's really tough to do. And, but yet it's a strength when you're able to do that, right? Was it a gentle word, quiet wrath, the proverb? That whole idea of power under control is called meekness. Jesus was full of it. Meekness. It's like the same word used for a, a, a powerful horse that is brought under control so that it can be ridden. Okay? So we're not talking about personality traits when we're talking about quietness and submission. We're not talking about people who have that, that comes easy to them. They're more spiritual than those who aren't. We're not talking about personality. We're talking about the character that comes from the fruit of the Spirit. And we're all called to quietness and gentleness. Some of us are just less gentle than others, right? Okay, I mean, there's some are more aggressive. God wired us that way. That's who we are. But remember, any strength to an extreme can be a, a weakness really quickly if you're not careful. He's basically saying, ladies, look, if you want to win your husband to Christ, and I hope you do, then you need to let that beauty that Christ has implanted in you, that living hope, you need to let it out. You need to let that fruit just come out Okay, I'm going to go back to chapter 2, verse 11 and 12 and say, here's some more help on how to do that. Verse 11, dear friends, I urge you 
as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires. So part of letting that out is to abstain from the sinful desires that you and I are tempted to indulge, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Remember we said that our apologetic, our defense of our faith is best seen in our actions. When we embody the message of the gospel through our words, but, our, but more importantly through our facial expressions, our body language, our actions, the things we choose not to do, all of those things are so much more powerful, right? You know the, 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 the expression, um, people remember what you do much more than what you say. Your kids do what you do, not what you say. Um, they don't always do what you do either, but you know what I'm saying. They're more likely to do that, even if it's bad, because their actions speak, because actions belay what we really believe. Okay? Boy, that'll preach. I'll just keep moving. All right. Um, so he says, uh, rather, and he talks about this, this inner beauty, rather, uh, verse 4, it should be that of your inner self, this beauty, the unfading beauty. See, the externals all fade, don't they? <laughs> we age. The mirror don't lie, right? And uh, our clothes fade. Our jewelry gets stolen. Our, our hair, every time it gets humid, it, it's got to go back and to the, get it done or do it again. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way... <laughs> Mandalorian, right? For this is the way. <laughs> this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. So now what's he doing? He's calling from the history of the Israelites, and he's saying, yep, there's some good examples. And notice he points out the women. It isn't the men usually. Okay, so he said there's some great examples in the past. And he says the key ingredients, which I'm going to summarize in a longer string in a minute, Starts with that hope in God. We talked about that living hope, chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. I believe I have this hope in Christ, which reminds me that I not only believe, but I belong. I belong in this family where I've been set apart from the world into this family of God. All right? Which means I do what, I'm a chip off the old block. I do what daddy does. That means I do good deeds. I practice good deeds wherever I go, which I have to do with courage because there's a temptation to not do that, to compromise. And so even though I am afraid, I'm going to be courageously motivated by love, doing good things. And that's going to lead me to be so crazy as to submit to my unbelieving husband, doing good deeds, though I may be scared and afraid to do that. Great courage because I'm holy and a family set apart built on the hope that I have, that living hope I have in Christ. That's the foundation. You see it? There's no earthly reason to submit to a lot of people in a lot of situations that we find ourselves in, which is why God says it's voluntary. I know that sounds a little contradictory, but he's calling us to remember the reason. Do not, if any of them do not believe the word, verse, verse 1, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. And this works the other way, too. Who's the example? Who is the example we talked about last week? Right? Chapter 1, chapter 2, verse uh, 21. For to this you were called. And he's referring to the suffering that happens when we are treated unjustly in our submitting. Talking to slaves in this case. 
To this end you were called. Why? Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Remember WWJD. It came from the book In His Steps. What would Jesus do if he were in your shoes? In that situation, being treated unjustly, and you're still called, God is calling you to submit to the person who's treating you unjustly. It's not fair, God. How many times have we said that? Don't answer out loud. Right? And then half the room went, well, it's not fair, as if that really helped. But it's true. So who's the example? They submitted themselves to their own husbands, these women of the Old Testament, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. Lord, have mercy. Did they, he just say that out loud in the 20? 23 year. Yes, he did. She did. All right, so I want to show you where it came from. Okay, so we're going to go back another 1800 years and we're going to put Genesis 18 on the screen. Genesis 18, verses 9 through 12. Okay, so this is 3,800 years ago. Abraham and Sarah have, Abraham's the father of the Jewish nation, right? He picked Abraham. He said, I'm going to build you into a great nation, and you're going to bless the world. I'm going to bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. That's all in Genesis 12. You can go there and read that. But here, they're in process. They're moving from their hometown, which is where they were all settled and doing really well. He picks up his whole business, his whole family, his whole clan, his whole tribe, and they start going to a place God's going to tell you, I'll tell you when you get there kind of thing. Just start moving. Crazy. Abraham believes God and goes. And as he's going, um, one day he's out among, he's just hanging out, I don't know, doing work and whatever he's doing. And three guys walk up and they, and they start talking. He was like, these guys seem like royalty. They might even be priests. I don't know. These guys seem really holy. Um, uh, Sarah, let's, let's fix a good meal for him. Let's be good hospitable hosts. Let's have a meal. And so they pull together a meal and like this feast. And, and, of course, in that day, it would have just been the guys. And so the guys are having this. They're eating. I don't know how much they're eating, but they're all there. And, um, and then one of the guys speaks up, and he says this. Where's your wife, Sarah? They're in the tent, Abraham said. Then another one of them, I guess another one, one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening to the in, at the entrance of the tent. I'm sure she just happened to be there, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was, the, was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Now, obviously, she shared what she thought because we have it in writing, and she, I'm sure this is part of the story, a grand story. All right? I mean, when you name your kid Laughter, you know it's a good story. Well, how did he get that name Laughter? Because <laughs> his name Isaac means laughter. Okay? She laughs because these guys who they've never met tell him something very personal. Oh, we're going to come back in a year, and you're going to have a little boy in your arms that you're going to be nursing because he's going to be like two or three months old. And, and Sarah's laughing because she's like, yeah, right, I'm 80, and he's 90. She doesn't call him the old goat or the old man. She calls him Lord. And it's kind of a throwaway statement. It's almost, she didn't have to say that. Nobody was listening when she thought it, except what God was. But what, 
I think Peter says she's a good example because this is just the way she saw her husband. She respected him. Full confession, my wife has never called me Lord. She has never called me Master. I don't even think she's ever said yes, sir, unless it was with sarcasm, okay? <laughs> but she has respected me my entire, the entire 35 years, consistently. And she's just said things like, this is my husband. No eye rolls, no sarcasm in the tone, just respect, okay? And I promise you, I don't deserve it, okay? If you knew me and she knew me from before and yet... Okay, because that's because she loves me. And you know what? When we started dating, I wasn't a believer. She won me over. I wanted to marry her before I even knew the Lord, but I had enough sense to recognize there's, a more, there's more going on here that was in my favor than I realized at the time. Her beauty was an inner beauty. Is she in here? I hope she's not in here. I'm in trouble if she's in here. Okay, I didn't think she was. She's going to kill me um, when she, okay, so, because I, I didn't plan to use her as an example, it just came to me, okay, so obviously the Lord said, you need to, but I'm in trouble now, so, but she's a real deal, and, and that's because she knew the Lord, and that inner beauty, I mean, she had the outer beauty, I told you the story where I picked her out of a whole room of girls, and I said, that's the one I want to meet, I didn't want to, you know, scared to death, but that's the one I met, so she had the outer beauty, but the inner beauty is what won me over, okay, so, if you're married to an unbelieving spouse, guys, gals, it doesn't matter. That true beauty that is going to really speak is going to be nurtured from a character that is resting in the living hope that is Jesus Christ, believing that you're part of a family set apart from the world into the family of God, making you holy and being sanctified so that you might do good works that lead to courage so that you will submit in the situations where you need to submit. And when you don't need to submit, you get out. This is how he ends it, verse 7. He finally gets to the guys, okay? <laughs> but he says a lot in one verse. And Paul handles it too, I promise you. Ephesians 5. Husbands, in the same way, so there's that idea of submission, but there's still a distinction and I don't have time to go into it, and I don't understand it well enough to explain it to you, even if I did. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 21, submit to one another. And then the very next verse, he says, wives, submit to your husbands. And I'm like, which is it, Paul? And he says, just go to Peter. All right, and so husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Considerate carries the idea of knowledge with knowledge, okay? And I, I'm getting contradictory takes from the commentators, which usually means there's truth in both, okay? And that's my read. Um, so you need to respect her with knowledge of who she is, okay? And guys, if you remember back to when you date, when you actually listened to what she said and you actually thought about what she might like to do and think like that, okay? And, and, but it's also with knowledge of who God is and who you are with respect to God, both. So be considerate in how you treat her as you live with your wives, okay? That's guys' wives, not guy wives, okay? No polytheism here. Not polytheism. Poly, poly, what's the word? Polygamy, sorry. None of that. I'm not advertising. For, oh, please, have mercy. I'm just in trouble. 
as you live with your wife, I'm going to say it, treat them with respect as the weaker partner, weaker vessel. Okay, what in the world? Okay, this is not talking about anything except brute strength. He's basically saying, you better not lay a finger on her, boy. Because that would have been the tendency for most of history for guys in a marriage. Was, well, if I can't argue and win with words, I can always fall back to these. And that's never, ever okay. And I would say it for both ways, but let's, let's get real. It doesn't usually come from the other side. Okay? Ladies, if, they, if he gets there, you go away from there. You can deal with this reconciliation process from a distance. You protect your kids. You protect yourself. You, set, you reset new boundaries. Okay? It is never okay for a man to physically hurt his wife. And, and that's, that should be a no-brainer, okay? And then there's the verbal abuse, and that's not okay, and that can go both ways too. But folks, when we're violent towards each other in words and deeds, that is not loving. And if they look like your enemy, you're still supposed to love your enemy. And that includes respect. Made in the image of God. But anyway, that matters. Here's the reason. As heirs with you in the gracious gift of life, which tells us that men and women are, in God's eyes, as equal as you could be. Equal in value, equal in ability, okay? Equal in intellect, equal in emotional health, and all the rest, okay? We're, we're all in different places, but in general, God sees you, man and woman, created above everything else in creation, equal because we're made in the image of God. Both of us are made in the image of God, okay? That means that even though God is referred to as our heavenly father, that he carries traits that make women special too. And they carry those traits because they came from him, okay? But here's the reason. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Guys, if you even believe, and I call this into question, do we believe that prayer really matters? Because if we did, we would pray, but I digress, all right? If you care about God hearing your prayers and you're not treating her like this, he's going, la, 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 when you pray, okay? He's not listening. He hears you. I hear you, but I don't hear you. And I don't think you and I want that. I know we don't want that, Okay? When it gets down to it, every situation is going to be a little different. I'm not going to make a blanket statement. This is when you submit, should submit, and this is when you should get out, other than the ones I've already made. But you've got to pray it through. You've got to get counsel, and you've got to, you've got to listen. You've got to, okay? But submitting is risky, and God knows that. And when I say get out, and, and because of the 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 violence and all that, I totally believe that. If my daughters came to me and anything like that was happening, I would say, come home, we'll figure it out. Just get out of there, okay? Because we'll, we want to work towards reconciliation, but sometimes that's what you got to do to get someone's attention, okay? But who did Christ submit to? Jesus Christ submitted to God the Father. And what did God the Father send him to do? 
die on the cross. Why? So that any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words. Through the actions of whom? Christians who are doing verse 12 in chapter 2. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify your father, which means that they actually respect him or believe he exists, and maybe I might even trust him at some point because of our visual embodying the message apologetic. This is what he calls all of us to, and this is just another example of how it plays out and how complicated it can get. But at the end of the day, if you want to boil it down to simple, it's know the Lord in such a way that when he says, go, you go. And when he says, stay, you stay. Let's pray. Lord, I just, uh, I, just, I just pray right now for the words that I've already spoken, that the ones that were not worthy of you would be wiped from anyone's memory so they could do no harm. And any truth that got out would be remembered and clinged to, prayed for and over, and applied with great discernment as fear and respect of the Lord deserves. Lord, I pray that as a church family, that we would be looking out for each other, that we would recognize that some of our church family is in this situation. And they need our support, our prayers, our counsel, and our encouragement. I pray for counselors that have these conversations every day. I can't imagine the emotional toil and weight that this leaves on them. And I pray for just a supernatural power and healing and help and shielding that would keep them from being drugged down into the muck but at the same time being able to help people find freedom and deliverance through what they do. And Lord, of course, we find ourselves being Monday morning counselors at work or school where we have friends or coworkers who are saying, this is my situation in my marriage and I'm thinking about leaving. Lord, give us wisdom and courage. Let's not expect Christians, let's not expect non-Christians to act like Christians, first of all. And second of all, let's point people to Jesus because he's the real, really the only hope here. We all need that hope. We thank you that you, you're the living hope in this dying world that we can cling to, rest in, and be a part of as the body of Christ. May it be fleshed out by the good deeds that we do with courage, even when we are afraid even when it calls us to submit to a, a, a law, a judge, a leader, an employer, a husband, even just submitting to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. You call us to these things. And I know that we don't always get it right. Lord, I thank you that you're a God who is quick to forgive when we are quick to humble ourselves, confess our sins, repent and believe in, by the blood of Jesus. I pray if there's someone here that needs to do that, that they would realize that you hear their hearts right now and they can just nod in their hearts even. Yes, Lord, I need your forgiveness and I believe Jesus brings it 
so that I can have it. And that they would just embrace the forgiveness that is available to them through Jesus Christ right now, believing that it is because of Jesus Christ that that forgiveness is available. And that they would just, in their hearts and minds, embrace it right now and receive, if it's the first time, salvation. If it's the second or seven billionth time, that we would just be grateful again for the forgiveness that we find in Christ alone. There is no other place to find this kind of forgiveness. It's eternal in quality and quantity. May we rest in it today. In Jesus' name, amen.